Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. It's good to be with you guys. Uh, my name is Brian. If we haven't met, I'd love to meet you. I'm the lead pastor here at Anchor. And we are in the sixth week of this teaching series called Kingdom Catechism, where each week we're looking at an expression of identity that's found in Scripture, and we're seeking to bring that, apply that to our life uh, so that we have a scriptural understanding of what it means to be us, a scriptural understanding of identity. So like six weeks ago, we began looking at how every one of us bears the image of God, every single one of us. The next week, we looked at how sin has affected our identity, how it's broken and marred the image of God. So while we bear the image of God, it's, it's marred by sin and relationships are strained and, and, and we can see sin all around us. In fact, G.K. Chesterton, a, a thinker, he said that sin is the only Christian doctrine that is immediately verifiable, meaning you can just look out and see it and understand, yep, it's there. But it doesn't end with sin. We talked about the next two weeks, Jesus. Now Jesus transforms us, creates us new, makes us new, brings us into a new identity so that we are not defined or limited by our sin, but that we grow up to become something that is not, that is bigger and greater, uh, marked by love, marked by newness, born again, transformed. And last week we looked at the role the Holy Spirit has in our identity, that we are are gifted by the Spirit, and we demonstrate those gifts in service to others in the community, in the world, and we are also marked as we depend on the Spirit by the fruit of the Spirit. Today we're talking about God the Father and identity. God the Father and identity. To do this, we're going to be looking in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. And so if you have a Bible, you can open to that. It's going to be on the screen as well. While you get there, or while you get ready to look at the screen, I want to kind of let you know a little bit about Romans, the book of Romans. Paul, the author of Romans, uh, was a church planter. You couldn't stop him from moving forward and following Jesus wherever Jesus led him. He had an experience where he was transformed and he was committed, he was unstoppably committed, unquenchably committed to following Jesus and advancing the name of Jesus. And when he wrote the book of Romans, we think that he probably was in prison because he clearly had a lot of time on his hands. He got as close to what's called a systematic theology as one, can, as one gets in the Bible, going from A to Z, explaining all things of God and, and history and reality, summed up in the 16 chapters of in the book of Romans. And for us, we're picking down, we're, we're plopping down right in Romans chapter 8, right in the middle of this book where Paul's talking about the role of the Spirit to bring the power of understanding that, that, that God is not just a concept, that God is not just an idea, that God is not just a being that exists out there, but God is, check this out, Father, Dad. And Paul in Romans chapter 8 says that, that it's actually the spirit of God that brings us to, into a deep understanding of who of that God is not just God, but that God wants to be revealed as Father. So beginning in verse 14, we read, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Here, I want to give this thesis statement out. So the note takers, you know, among us might like it. Here's the thesis statement of the teaching today. It's this, the fear-free life. The fear-free life, the life that is not hindered or, or, or kept back by fear. The fear-free life is a life where we grow in the knowledge that we are God's kids and he is our father. The fear-free life is a life where we grow in the knowledge that we are God's kids and he is our father. At least one psychologist has referred to fear as like our operating system, our basic level operating system. Meaning that like we kind of like it hovers below the surface wherever we go, wherever we live. Fear stays with us. Some might say it's because we have this preserving instinct, this desire to preserve ourselves, to preserve our best interests, to preserve our money, to preserve our strength, to preserve our relationships. And if we're in a preservation mode of living, then we are constantly wondering, is what I am interested in threatened? And so we live with fear. But there's good fear and there's bad types of fear. You know, I, years ago I was um, running in the wilderness. Sounds grandiose, doesn't it? <laughs> running in the wilderness. Imagine that picture. Running in the wilderness. Um, think Nike ad, whatever. I'm in the zone. If you're a runner, you know that moment where you, you get past that point of pain and you're just kind of like in the zone. You're kind of untying a knot from some challenge in the past week. You're reflecting on whatever is happening in your life. I'm in the zone running in the wilderness, serenity, fall leaves, etc. And all of a sudden I turn the corner and there before me, like you depth right here is a bear. Yep. A bear. And, um, it was the good type of fear that led me to run away at that point. That's good fear, right? It, like a person that goes closer when they see a bear, there's something problematic happening inside the brain, right? Cute bear. Like that's something anybody that has any type of reference point for what bear means usually runs away. Now, I did look back when I was, uh, when I was running away to see if the bear was chasing me. It was running away too. So clearly it saw my strength uh, and was also afraid of me. Understandably so. I am, you know, it's very clear why the bear would be afraid. Um, but that's good fear, right? Uh, it's good fear that keeps us from things that might threaten our life. But then there's also bad fear. Like you could think like bad fear keeps us not from life-threatening things, but from growth opportunities. Whether it's a new job, applying to a dream school, asking somebody out on a date, Something that is fear-inducing, if we let fear win in that moment, we're letting the bad type of fear give the verdict. 
Sometimes if we let the bad type of fear give the verdict over and over again, what happens is we develop fear lenses where when we look at the world, we don't see potential opportunities and new relationships. We don't see things like, like, like horizons opening up for us and potential things that could go good or God could be inviting us to. Instead, we see scenarios that are like the worst case scenarios. You remember that book? How to Get Out of the Worst Case Scenarios? Maybe I was the only one that read that book. And so what happens is relationships are stifled. Growth is stifled because we have fear lenses on that keep us from going forward. As the brilliant academic ethicist, (laughs) ethicist says Bruce Springsteen, says, I was trying to be funny. I I stuttered on ethicist. (laughs) It totally blew the joke. Bruce Springsteen, uh, I got God on my side and I'm just trying to survive. What if what you do to survive kills the things you love? Fear is a powerful thing, baby. It can turn your heart black you can trust. It'll take your God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. The bad type of fear run rampant in life. As Springsteen says, It'll take your God-filled soul and fill it with devils and dust. The first point that I want us to look at is to really understand the force of fear. Because I think there's certain people in here that like might look at their own life or might look at other people's life. Uh, you know, and they might think like, well, I'm kind of immune to fear. You know, I bungee jump, you know, like I, I take high risks on the stock market. And if that's both of those things, I'm a little nervous for you actually, but uh, but like, there's certain types of people that might think, ah, fear doesn't affect me. What are you talking about? I think that it actually does affect all of us, if we're honest. There's different types of fear that different personality types and different people with different backgrounds, you know, experience on different levels. Like for instance, there's the fear of being excluded, right? The fear of like, of, of relational awkwardness where everybody in a circle gets an invitation to something and then I don't get the invitation. So maybe I'm not gonna find myself in the circle in the first place. There's the fear of ex- being excluded, right? So I'm not gonna say, hey, what are you guys doing today? Because if I say, what are you guys doing? Maybe I, I won't get the invitation to do something with them. So it keeps us kind of inside relationally, not engaged. It keeps us from signing up for an anchor group. It keeps us from leaning into a conversation in the lobby. The fear of being excluded. Then there's the fear of being disappointed. Right? I'm not gonna, this shows up in everything from like not ordering something different on the menu. I always ordered the same thing. That's fine. But on a bigger level, it shows up in not trying anything new. Ever. Whether it's a job or a move. There's a fear of being wrong. Could show up in the classroom by not raising your hand because you don't want the shame of saying, actually, no, that's not correct. Could show up in a conversation in a marriage relationship where the spouse keeps the words inside their mouth because 
they don't want that response. No, you're wrong. The fear of not being enough, not adding up. The fear of someone finding out. This goes all the way back to Genesis where the first couple, Adam and Eve, they hide. They try to protect themselves. When sin enters into the world, they feel shame. They try to not be found out. They try to duck and cover, but like no one clued them into the fact that like God is the one in, they're in relationship with. And so he sees them. They can't escape. They've been found out. I remember years ago when I was a brand new pastor, my wife asked me, um, why are you working so hard on those sermons? And I responded something like, because I take this seriously and it's important and it's God's word. And she goes, yeah, I get it. Um, this is a summation of the conversation. So if you ask my wife in the lobby, if that really happened, she might not remember it exactly, but it's a paraphrase. <laughs> Sometimes that really happens. Sometimes my wife says, I don't remember that. I'm like, well, I remember that. Uh, I said, um, it kind of came out at some point in that conversation. I, I said, if, if I don't make this perfect, I'm nervous that people won't come back. So now I have like sloppy sermons every Sunday because <laughs> I'm over the fear. No. No, so I think what happens is, is, that, is that oftentimes like our strength, things that look like our strengths, are actually fears hiding behind our strengths. And it's the person who's like a grinder working so hard at their work, they're answering emails at 11 p.m. And what's driving that? Yeah, sure, there's competency and, and skill. Obviously, it's driving it. But what if there was a fear operating behind that? Saying, I have to prove how great I am. Because if I don't, I don't know what will happen. Oftentimes we look around and we see competent people, but competent people sometimes are masking their fear by over, over exerting their competence. Fear affects every one of us. It's interesting. Scripture um, says over a hundred times, it says, fear not. God says that over a hundred times in Scripture. Fear not. It's almost as if God knows that fear is something we struggle with and wrestle with. Fear not. It's almost as if not only that God knows that fear is something that all of us wrestle with, but it's like he knows that, that he, he wants us to not be, to succumb to the power of fear. He wants us to live free of fear. So Paul writing to the Romans there, did you catch it? In, in verse uh, 15, he, he says, so that you don't live in fear again. He's talking to the Romans, they're followers of Jesus, probably new followers of Jesus, because at this point in history, everybody's a new follower of Jesus. And he's saying that like, like the spirit has come into your life and bringing you this understanding that, that God is your father so that you don't live in fear again. Meaning that the old operating system of living according to fear to preserve yourself does not have to be the new operating operating system. There can be a new operating system where you don't live as a slave to fear, but you live as a freed person knowing that you are God's kid. 
So the first point was the force of fear, but the second point is that there is freedom from fear. Freedom from fear. You can look at that verse again, verses 14 to 15. It says, for those who are led by the spirit of God are children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, alternatively, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Paul is saying is that there's this identity as a slave where we feel fear and then there's this identity as an adopted kid where we feel free. I know talking about fathers can be a complicated thing for some of us in the room because some of our relationships with our fathers are complicated and maybe vexed, a little challenging. But I remember when I was a boy, I thought my dad could beat up anybody. Do you know that feeling? I remember having a debate with my neighbor who was about my age and we we were arguing about whose dad would win in a fight. Like, I don't know why we did that. We were like at the point literally where we were ready to set up a boxing match and like get our dads out to box each other. I don't think they would have been interested in that, but we thought we were very interested in the outcome of that boxing match. I just was so sure that my dad would demolish my neighbor. And um, looking at my dad now, I'm like, he's not He's not small, but he's definitely not that strong, you know? There's something mythic about a kid looking at their father thinking, this guy could throw down. This guy is stronger than anyone. But it's not just, uh, it's just, it's not just like strength. You're like, look, as a kid looking at your father, this mythic quality, he's like, he's like so smart too. Like he remembers where Safeway is every time. <laughs> How does he do that? He can read. He can, I've seen him with a hammer. He can knock the, and he built, and it's like a chair or something. Like, my son will become rudely awakened uh, at some point pretty soon where he realized actually dad's not that great a carpenter. (laughs) But at this point, he thinks I'm pretty good. Dad's, um, if we have a, a, a good relationship with our father, no doubt those early childhood years are marked by like awe at dad. As he's strong, he's smart, and he's warm. I remember wrestling with my dad and I knew he was strong, but I, he'd let me win sometimes. And then some, there's this wrestling that becomes a snuggle and a tickle. And just there's this close proximity to this one who's like totally strong, but also letting me physically near. Like, of course, there's a point where you recognize, okay, dad's not as smart as I was. He's not as strong as I thought he was. Um, you know, I, and as a teenager, you grow into try to differentiate. So there's this part where you're distancing yourself because you want to make sure I am who I am. You're not who I say I am. Dad, oh, yeah, all this kind of stuff. The angst ensues at some point. But I think what Paul's communicating is that that kid stage where we see our father as all these things. Like that's just a shadow of what God the father wants us to understand as we relate to him. 
that he is competent, far beyond our earthly father. He is wise, far beyond our earthly father. He is intimate and near, far beyond our earthly father. And I would say the healing journey is moving towards seeing that those qualities are uniquely and uncompromisingly expressed in God. And letting him be who he says he is as strong and intimate and tender and wise in relationship to us. It is often that we put up a wall and let God be a concept let God be a creator. Let God be even a savior, but he can save me at a distance. But to let God be father is often the work that Jesus' followers have to do to allow the Holy Spirit to make that true, not just in our head, but in our heart. Paul says when that happens, when that work happens, we're transferred from being a slave to becoming a son, to becoming a kid. There's this, a book I was reading recently called the Into the Silent Land. Um, if you like long books about prayer, you could look it up. Um, if not, don't, don't bother reading it. But um, in it, there's this story about this, the author's walking with a friend and the friend has three terriers and they're on this open field and the terriers are racing around and jumping around, moving around, going the length and the depth of the field. But then there's one that just keeps doing loops right around the dog owner. And the author asks the dog owner, what's the deal with this dog? The other two are racing around. He said, this dog was kept in a very tightly fenced area for all of its kind of like early formative years. And so it still thinks it's in that tightly fenced area. It never came to see that it's actually free. I do think the invitation is for us as Jesus followers for us to like, let the Father let us know that we are free. We're not in the slavery to fear anymore. If we are connected with the one who is Jesus, we're not in slavery to fear anymore. There is more outside the gates and the invitation consecutively, constantly from Jesus to us, to them, the spirit to us is to invite us out of this slavery operating system into this robust understanding that I am loved by the one who is infinitely strong and infinitely wise and his affection is aimed at me. Um, it's been cold out lately. Have you noticed that? I, um, you know, I, 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 have, I think I've got bad circulation. I don't know, somebody with a medical background could help me, but I'm always cold. Even on hot days, I'm still cold. I'm like shivering, you know, I, I don't know. Don't try to diagnose me, I guess, whatever, it's just a thing. Um, but I, uh, like uh, leaving Anchor a couple weeks ago, or days ago, whenever, when it was cold, you know. Um, I live close enough so my car doesn't warm up, just stays cold. So I'm driving like this, kind of cold. And um, my wife will usually ask me in the morning, shouldn't you bring a jacket? And I'm like, no, I don't need it. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm but I stay cold, you know. Um, and I got out of the car and I'm, I'm cold and I'm walking in. And I'm in this posture where, you know, you're kind of like trying to warm yourself up, you know. Um, and I'm in this kind of like tight, kind of like. Uh, and then I walk in the house and it's like, one, I'm worried about the energy bill because it's really warm. 
But two, it's warm and everything loosens up. And like all these, this tightness of trying to keep all the heat in, it loosens up. And I come in and there's warmth. I think this is what it's like to come to know God as Father. It's as if we're living life in the cold. And we're all tightened up. We're trying to prove how great we are or we're shrinking back from opportunity because we know we're not that great or we think we're not that great. And we're kind of, kind of cold and tightened up. And then when we walk into the knowledge that we're loved, it's like we're walking into a home that's well heated and we can loosen up and we can recognize it's not all on us. It's not all depends on us. In fact, we're loved irrespective of if we mess up. And that's kind of this weird thing that we have to continually get used to that God loves us because he loves us because he's love and perfect love casts out fear. And when we welcome the fact that we're loved down deep into our life, not just when we feel good about our moral track record, but when we welcome it down into the part of our lives where we may have addictions that we haven't yet recovered from, or we have areas of our life where we haven't yet even sought forgiveness, and we, we know we need to seek forgiveness, and, but we haven't made that thing yet. Or when we, Even in those parts of our life, we're loved. We're deeply loved. And when we recognize that even in those parts of our lives where we're loved, the parts we've hidden, the parts we've kept away from others and tried to hide from God like our first parents when we recognize in those parts of our life that we're loved. It's like we come out from the cold or come in from the cold and we loosen up. And maybe for the first time we have the courage to go and ask for forgiveness because we know no matter what we're loved because God is love and he is our father. You know, it's interesting, you know, um, Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, pray like this, my paraphrase, our father. Wow. Jesus is saying, our. He's saying, I have this relationship with God. I want you to have the same relationship with the father. Our father. Jesus is inviting you to this. In fact, Paul, in the passage we just read, he uses this word Abba, which is an intimate description of, of who God is. It's an intimate fatherly description. It's like an, an Aramaic or a, or a Jewish boy would look to his dad and say, Abba. And Paul's saying that we can look to God, the one who created quasars and quarks and mountains and everything, and we can say, not only is that just remarkable in of itself, but like the most desperate moment in all of Jesus's life that we know of was in the garden of Gethsemane. It was right before the cross, right before he'd go and die atoning for our sins at his own expense. And right there in the garden of Gethsemane, he let these words come out of his mouth. Abba. So in his desperate moment, when he was tempted to, to kind of say even, would you let this cup pass? In this desperate moment, he said, Abba. And what Paul is telling us is that because of what Jesus has done, we get to let those same words be our words. That you get to 
call on that same God with that same level of relationship. A relationship marked by intimacy. I love the person who described intimacy as into me, you see. Relationships uh, that have intimacy in them, there's a mutual knowing, there's a mutual gazing in, into me, you see. So we get to look into the heart of God. God looks into our heart. For some of you, it's like, I don't know, it sounds a little fuzzy and fooey. Well, welcome to depth in your relationship with God. Romans 8, 16, it says, the spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. I love the legal language of testifies because, because I, I, sometimes I just need the spirit to testify because I can't testify by myself because I've, I've seen how I've maybe messed up. And so I'm, I'm actually saying, I don't know if I'm disqualified. I don't know, I forgot. Maybe I'm forgetting the gospel. I'm, I'm, there's part of my heart that doesn't really full, totally believe it. And the spirit says up and I'm gonna testify that this is God's kid. Some of you need to allow the spirit to testify when you feel maybe like you've been disqualified. Third, third point is that the, just pressing in deeper to this, the heart of the father. Romans eight seventeen. now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Children, heirs, co-heirs with Jesus. Uh, I haven't yet received any major inheritance, um, which means my parents are still alive and living, which is great. Um, but I, have got, I did get one thing from my grandfather. It's a sweater. I, and I, my wife makes fun of me um, because uh, I always wear nice clothes to do house projects or car projects or something like that. I don't know if anybody does the same thing. So I'll regularly ruin clothes that I shouldn't be ruining. And we just spent money on them and now I've ruined it and you know that conversation. Well, I, one time I was wearing this sweater that I love and I decided I'd, I'll change the oil with the sweater. Um, and I got oil all over the sweater and you know, it's like hard to get oil out of a sweater. It's... So every time I, I wear it, I still wear it. You can't really see because it's a dark sweater. Um, I put my elbows on a desk and I, then I, I lift up, there's like oil marks right there. Um, <laughs> um, it's cool enough. It's a cool enough sweater that like, you know, cool kids are like, dude, where'd you get that sweater? And I'm like, my dead grandfather. <laughs> and they're like, that's weird. And I'm like, yeah, you're right, it is. Um, but when I wear that sweater, I'm reminded of my grandfather. I'm reminded of um, how he would have us do push-ups and every push-up we did over 10, he'd give us a dollar. And I'm reminded of uh, his woodworking space in his house. There's almost, it's like my, my grandfather's keeping me warm when I wear that. Um, the Father has given you the inheritance of his son, Jesus. The Father's warmth is on you because of the work of Jesus. In a cold world, you're given opportunity for constant warmth covered in the finished work of Jesus. 
The Father has given you that. Jesus' baptism. In Mark, Mark chapter 1, there is the words that are spoken by the Father over Jesus. And it, they read like this. I think we have it on the screen. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. I'm gonna go all the way back and I'm gonna point to a couple things. I love it says you. The father is not speaking to the crowd. The father is speaking right to Jesus. You are my son. Not check out my boy, everyone, but speaking right to the son. You are my son. Whom I love. The father is, is declaring that you not only are my son, but you are my son that I love. I love you. And it goes further. With you, I'm well pleased. Not only are you my son that I love, but I am well pleased with you. Let it be known. Jesus hasn't done anything pretty miraculous yet. He doesn't have a great ERA. Doesn't have a good count of miracles yet. We don't know if he's even done anything miraculous. But the father's delight precedes anything that Jesus does. And one aspect of us being recipients of the inheritance of Jesus by the work of the father's application is that the Father speaks those same words over every one of us. The Father says, you are my kid. You are my son. You are my daughter. Talking directly to you. The Father says, like, I love you. The Father says, I'm well pleased with you. Because you're you. The, this is a part of our inheritance. The band can come up at this point. But I would encourage you to daily, those of us that are followers of Jesus, to welcome those words into our life at the beginning of our day. You might even ask myself, or ask yourself, God, remind me that I'm your kid. Father, remind me that you love me. Father, remind me that you're pleased with me. Living from the delight of the Father. As Brendan Manning says, define yourself radically as one loved by God. This is the true self Every other identity is an illusion. Sit in that for a second here. Sit in that. Every other identity is an illusion. I do believe that if we sit, sit in this, if we let this to, to fill our imagination, to fill our heart, if we allow this truth to come from our head to our heart, we will find ourselves not marked by fear in the same way that we may have in the past. And Paul would say to us, like he said to the Romans, so that you don't live in fear again. 
So that fear and its unhealthy expressions decreases and freedom increases. So we, like that dog, is able to break free from the cage that doesn't even keep us in anymore and run free. So we live in a house that is warm, even in a cold world. And we show that warmth to the world as being just people that are delighted in by the Father. The Father gives you your identity as kids. And this is purchased through the saving work of Jesus, as we've mentioned. That's why we do communion every week, because we want to give you a chance to be reminded that there is nothing that can take you away from the Father's love because it is given to you by the, by the Son. Christ's body given for you, Christ's blood shed for you. If you aren't yet a Jesus follower, you're invited to say yes today. Maybe you've done the religious thing. Maybe you've said like yes to church, but you haven't said yes to Jesus. I wanna invite you to say yes to Jesus because only he can save. Church can't save. Anchor church can't save. Good mentors can't save. Even reading the Bible alone can't save. Jesus can save. And so we invite you to say yes to the one who can save so that you can have a relationship with God as Father and live empowered by the Spirit so that in a world dominated by fear, you can live a life of internal warmth knowing that you are loved. There's prayer stations that are available on both sides. Don't miss out on prayer because every one of us has a prayer need. So why wouldn't we get prayer? Whether it's for somebody that's sitting next to us or, or go at the prayer stations themselves. And I, as you stand and prepare yourself for communion, go ahead and stand right now. If you're able, I wanna pray over us just to let these words settle down into our hearts. Spirit of the living God, would you bring application? Would you apply this truth to our heart? Enliven it. Fill our imaginations. Fill our understanding with your love so that we, we know down deep, even in the pain points, that we are your kids. In the powerful, unrivaled name of Jesus.